Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in the space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst here at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elturai, our U.S. Director of Research, and together we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. commercial real estate market. Omar, it's good to be with you. Glad to be here. So we are recording on Tuesday, January 16th, but this is our first episode of 2024. So wanted to wish everyone a belated Happy New Year. And on that note, Omar, how about you set the stage for us? Give us a bit of a 2023 recap to kick us off. 2023 was a big year. A lot happened and much of it was not what we were expecting at the start of the year. In addition to surprises, the year provided many lessons. Reflecting on the year, I'd call out a few lessons learned. First, monetary policy is not a solved game. While we spent a lot of time watching the Fed here in the U.S., central bankers across the globe started the year taking a bold stance in their fight against inflation, but ended the year in a much more precarious position. As they largely achieved their objective of bringing inflation down, but seemed less sure with the cost associated. A second lesson the year taught us was that unlike the tide, a rising cost of capital sinks some ships. While the overall level of financial distress remained relatively low compared to historical periods. There were multiple notable failures across industries, including in banking early in 2023, but then followed by non-financial bankruptcies and failures, including Rite Aid, Party City, Bed Bath & Beyond, to name a few. A third lesson from 2023 was don't underestimate the strength of the U.S. consumer. We saw this in the data, and we heard this from analysts and media throughout the year, many were surprised by the U.S. consumer's appetite and willingness to spend, even if it meant digging deeper into their savings or adding new debt. And while the wealth and income inequality remained elevated, collectively, the U.S. consumer fueled the economy, pushing GDP well above forecasts. Finally, we were reminded of the promise and potential potency of the economic elixir known as technology. In less than a year after OpenAI's ChatGPT was launched, artificial intelligence, aka AI, and its many related acronyms colored conversations from the personal and work chat channels to boardrooms to earnings calls and congressional hearings. While we're all still searching for ways to incorporate these technologies into our processes and lives, the potential really does seem palpable. And in CRE, the backdrop of falling inflation, tight labor market, strong consumer demand, and robust GDP was really overshadowed by capital and credit concerns, even though defaults and distress remained low. Transaction volume was down nearly half compared to 2022, as deals did not pencil and valuations seemed more subjective. There were certainly bright spots in CRE, but the disruptive rate narrative really dominated 2023. Now, heading into 2024, 
A few themes that I'm watching in CRE are, first, the effective cost of capital for CRE, because despite the Fed's expected cuts, the overall cost of capital for CRE may remain high as CRE risk premium increases amidst rising distress. Second, a continued narrowing of the public-private gap in valuations, as private valuations will likely continue trending down and REITs or the public real estate securities will regain some of their lost ground on the expectations for rates coming down. I expect to see overall transaction volumes up on the year, partially because 2023 was such a low bar, but also picking up pace as there's more clarity around interest rates and firms execute strategic exits and capitalize on opportunities that they identified. And those managers and assets which can demonstrate strong cash flow growth, despite the cooling economy, I expect will price at premiums. For a more in-depth recap of 2023's macro, capital markets, and CRE trends, along with 2024 themes to watch, I would encourage you to check out my most recent monthly market update article, which is available on our site. And you can find that linked in the show notes or heading over to altusgroup.com and searching under insights. And with that, let's go into some of this year's recent economic data. Cole, what are you seeing on the job front? Yeah, that was a great overview, Omar. And I think one of the, the key themes was around the Fed and interest rates, right? And one of the things they keep an eye on is the job market. So that's an indicator of the strength of the economy. It's how they monitor and help monitor inflation. And then it ultimately informs their decision about rates. So the recent labor market is showing some signs of strength, but it has been cooling. In December, the, the economy added 216,000 new jobs which was up quite a bit from the 105,000 in November and the little more than 200,000 in October. One of the things that is worth keeping an eye out on here is actually the ratio of jobs to unemployed, right? So this is basically a measure of how many opportunities there are out there in the economy were you to be unemployed. So there's currently 1.4 jobs for every person looking for work. Alternatively, 0.7 unemployed persons per job opening. This ratio is at a historically low level or high level, depending on which way you look at it. Prior to COVID and since 2000, the ratio has only been less than one for one other period. And that was the extremely strong labor market of 2018 to 2020. So that just shows you how unusual and how unusually good this is for the U.S. labor market. I also wanted to mention that in this JOLTS data, so that's the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, they do split outs by various industry and all but one sector has made a full pandemic recovery immediately prior to the pandemic. So we're looking at February uh, 2020 data and all the sectors. The only one that is just barely off where it was before March of 2020 and the ultimate shutdown is leisure and hospitality. Even though the consumer has been really strong and all the other sectors have actually grown quite a bit, business and professional services, even government jobs are up from where they were in 2020. Leisure and hospitality is lagging a little bit. So I point that out to say that I hope in a couple episodes from now, we can say we've made a full employment recovery from the pandemic from the 2020 February total. I think the goal or one of the main points here is that the Fed wants to maintain full employment while taming inflation. I think some people generally refer to that as the soft landing. 
perhaps they're getting a little bit closer to this, right? Job openings are now down 23% on the year. Separations are down 17% on the year. But most importantly, and I think this is relevant to post-pandemic labor conversations, is that quits are down 23% as well. So growth in employment has also been declining or cooling since April of 2021. So it's now at 1.7% year on year. So the bottom line takeaway is that there are fewer job openings, but a lot fewer people are leaving their existing jobs. So they're staying where they are. Fewer people are getting fired or let go, meaning the, the job market is really just cooling down, right? Fewer places to go, people more secure in their current positions, but we aren't losing jobs. So I think most people expected that if the Fed was going to go very hard on taming inflation, this would involve some, not just cooling, but some real job losses. We're not really seeing that, but I think this is a welcome sign for some people expecting cuts to come soon for interest rates. But I know relatedly, you were talking or taking a look last week, we got new data on CPI and PPI. You want to tell us what's going on with consumers and producers? Certainly. So in terms of inflation, we got the consumer price index and producer price index data released last week for the month of December. CPI rose more than expected at a clip of 30 basis points month on month after rising only 10 basis points in November. On a year-on-year basis, the December CPI print was up 3.4%, again, up from November's 3.1% year-on-year pace, with notably high housing and auto insurance costs. And while this was a concerning release and was interpreted negatively by the market as it, it could interfere with the expected rate cuts for this year, the PPI data released last Friday did help to really calm the markets to some degree as PPI was down 13 basis points in December on the month and up only 90 basis points on a year-on-year basis. So what other recently released data caught your attention? A couple of weeks ago, we got information on consumer credit. So you were talking about price increases, and I think you're seeing this really manifest within the consumer credit space as well. This was the first time the measure by the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, it surpassed $5 trillion, so total consumer credit owned and securitized. Of that, about $3.7 trillion is revolving, so that's really credit cards or other revolving credit. I mean, $1.3 trillion is non-revolving, so that would be like fixed-term auto loans, student loans. So that was about $1.3 trillion. So the percentage change in total consumer credit surged to 5.7% annually, which was a big jump. And that was up from 1.4% in October. So while credit growth had really been declining since the start of the interest rate hikes from the Fed in 2022, we did see a notable take up in credit during the holiday season. So consumers borrowed more to buy goods. And this occurred all kind of despite the backdrop of the reintroduction of student loan payments, which would in theory drive uh, total credit owed on the non-revolving space down. But consumers took out a lot during the holiday season. I think one thing that's worth mentioning here, we also got data, this is as of November of 2023, credit card interest rates are now as high as 21.5% on average, which is just unbelievable by historical standards. I think 
At any point from the mid-90s up until the financial crisis, the average was about 12%. So this is huge, and I think explains a lot of this credit growth. Delinquencies are the highest on credit cards since 2012 at 3%. So that was at the end of quarter three, 2023. But the silver lining, I guess you could say to this, was that pre-GFC, the standard was between 4 and 5%. In previous times, 3% would not be considered super crazy, but it is increasing. And I think the high interest rates, they will take a lot of time to process, but we might see this manifest itself later. I bring all this up to say that a worsening credit sector could really impact consumer-oriented, mainly looking at retail and hospitality. If you're borrowing money to then spend in some of these sectors, if credit conditions worsen, if interest rates remain super high, or people lack the ability to pay them back eventually, you could really see this hurt retail and hospitality, less travel, less spending. Uh, one of the other things I took a look at this week was consumer or construction spending data, rather. So November actually marked the 11th straight month of growth in the total construction pipeline. So there's a little over $2 trillion in the construction pipeline, which is massive by historical standards. A lot of this is driven by manufacturing from the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, which really put a lot of tax credits out there for advanced manufacturing. The rate of growth in construction spending had continued to increase every month from April of 2023 up to now, but in November, it dipped slightly. So it went from 11.6% year-on-year growth to 11.3%. So when we're looking at CRE in the grand scheme of things, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Why? Because a lot of these projects are coming online. So the pipeline might be slimming, but that's simply because a lot of the big boost from 2022, all this new supply is actually coming online. Could be concerning from a rent growth perspective, but it does mean that there's a lot of new CRE product out there to compete with, right? Manufacturing does make up around 40% of that pipeline, which is a huge percentage. Historically, it was around 25%. So that just shows you how robust the pipeline is for manufacturing. The other thing that's worth mentioning in these numbers that might be shocking to some of our listeners or even to other people in the space is that there's still around $100 billion in new office projects in the pipeline. That figure to me is incredible. It makes sense for a couple of reasons. I think your big CBD office projects where materials are expensive, where labor is expensive, where your timelines are really drawn out, a singular building can be more than a billion dollars. And so I think a lot of these projects are actually here in New York and in other major CBDs across the state. So $100 billion in perspective may not sound like that much, but with all that's going on in the office sector a lot of these structural changes to demand. This is really interesting. There's a lot of new supply coming online and it may be tough as a class B or C property in a suburban area or even elsewhere in CBD to compete with some of this new supply. So a lot of it coming online. I wanted to ask you a little bit. We talked about the Fed and we talked about interest rates, but what are we looking at going forward? What are the market's rate expectations going into 2024? Yeah, I think if anybody got sick of hearing about interest rates in 2023, they should probably get some good noise-canceling headphones and block out 2024 because I think the rates are still going to be very much front and center. And there's been a lot of activity, right? But taking it all together, the market consensus view is really that the Fed will hold rates steady 
in the upcoming rate decision at the end of January, but then we'll cut at least six times through the year, really bringing the policy rate down nearly 150 basis points in 2024 if each cut is 25 basis points. And while the Fed has also signaled that hikes are off the table, it is in cutting mode, and that they will cut this year, its summary of economic projections that were released in the last 2023 meeting in December really showed closer to three cuts through the year. So I'm interested to see how this will play out. And really, we saw how much expectations swung through 2023. And so I expect expectations will continue to evolve, given that there's a rather wide gap between what the market's expecting and pricing in and what FOMC officials have shared with the market. And I know earnings have kicked off recently. Any that caught your attention? Yeah, I think earnings always offer a lot of good commentary on the direction of the economy. And earnings season kicked off on Friday with JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America. And while that's all a lot of information to go through, the big floor banks delivered mixed messages or mixed results this past quarter. So JP Morgan and Wells were a beat while City and Bank of America missed. But these were really due to some restructuring and one-time charges last quarter. So I think those masked a little bit of how much of a good quarter banks actually had toward the end of 2023. JP Morgan had their best annual profit on record. Citi, on the other hand, reported its worst quarter since 2009. They are planning to cut 20,000 jobs by 2026. But for the rest of the banks, higher interest rates are actually boosting their income as uh, the economy remains pretty resilient. So they're charging high interest, but it's getting paid back. And we actually saw this in the third quarter as well. So the commentary from executives didn't change too much in that regard. Similarly, they are still pretty cloudy on their future economic outlooks. There was less discussion of a potential recession than on previous iterations of their calls, but still pretty murky. Across all the banks, loan growth was pretty slow. Trading revenue declined across the board. But I did want to mention one interesting nugget. So all four of the big banks that reported so far contributed to an FDIC fund that is dedicated to bank failures. So perhaps that's even a bigger indicator of where they're thinking the economy might be going in 2024. So overall, murky outlook. But you know, banks are not the only ones in the lending space or to be found in the CRE capital stack. We just got back a few days ago from Miami from the Crepsi Conference, the Commercial Real Estate Finance Council. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about what we learned there from some of the panels? Sure. In terms of continuing the theme of 2024 outlook, the sentiment at the conference was, I would say, better than it has been at the recent events. And that was largely driven by rates, interest rates. I think there was a panelist that captured it quite well when they described the CRE outlook for 2024 as, quote, not negative, unquote. I chuckled when I heard this because this description I thought was perfect. It couldn't have been coached better. There's just as much in those two words as what's not being said, right? So it's not, they didn't say it's positive. They said it's not negative. But I think this was all contingent really upon the rate environment. There wasn't a single panel, even if it wasn't focused on market outlook, everybody brought up interest rates. But it's important to note that the level of cuts, the trajectory and the timing, those are still all pretty unknown. Many folks did share their opinions. 
But ultimately, I think going back to some of my earlier comments of this is something that we're likely going to continue to watch. And across the different panels and sessions, attendees really called for and expect CRE capital markets remaining pretty tight in the near term, but really thawing more during the year as more certainty around interest rates emerges and new sources of capital come off the sidelines, get creative and evolve some capital stacks. Those were probably my key takeaways. But Cole, what did you take away from the event? Yeah, I think this is the, the event's always a great way to kick off the year because then we get to hear about what people's forward-looking outlooks are and what has changed since we saw more or less the same group speak back in June. But the thing that's interesting about CraftC is you have two aspects to the conference, right? You have folks talking specifically about lending terms and rates, but also a lot of commentary on property level fundamentals. So I was focused on those. There have been some obvious shifts in demand across sectors. We know work from home causing demand shifts in office, and then also some shift in supply, notably the multifamily space where there's a lot coming online. Folks are worried about rent growth. So even if interest rates cuts do meet expectations, and I think across the board, folks at Crepsi expect the first one to be in March, property cash flows have a lot of uncertainties going into 2024. Rent growth is cooling in multifamily with that new wave of supply, could be limited to certain markets. Ones that haven't been on the receiving end of a lot of this investment might be a different story. Expenses are also increasing quite a bit. One that was mentioned nearly every panel, I think definitely exaggerated because we were in Miami, but insurance expense. So the things that were noted here, the frequency and intensity of billion dollar plus weather events is increasing. And this is more than would be typical of adjusted for inflation of another year. Insurance premiums are averaging 17% increases in 2023, and these would typically be to any other year. Historic catastrophe modeling has proven insufficient, and there were a number of panels noted that insurance is becoming a bit of a deal killer for some terms. They can't get policies, can't issue mortgages, and so... This is causing a number of problems, and it's for the first time really being a killer of deals. The other thing that's worth noting, and this is more relevant for office, is tenant improvements and leasing commissions. So these TILC packages for office are becoming very unwieldy, increasingly large. It's becoming very expensive to either keep tenants from rolling over or luring in new ones. And so I think those are insurance and TILCs are becoming or were a big topic. But like I said, great way to kick off the year. It was good to, to meet some listeners and to hear some more from folks in the industry about work across the capital stack going on into 2024. But I do want to mention there's a lot of upcoming data releases that are going to tell us a lot more about 2024. Omar, what are you looking at this coming week? Certainly. So in the early half of this week, and actually tomorrow on the 17th, we have retail sales, business inventories, and industrial production coming out. And then on the 19th, I'll be looking at the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Survey. And what are you watching for this week? We've got a lot of housing and construction data releases. I, I love to parse through these ones. And tomorrow, the 17th, we have the NHB Builder Survey. We've got housing starts and building permits on the 18th, and then existing home sales on the 19th. So this coming Thursday or Friday rather. And then the back half of the week is really loaded with earnings and releases. Actually, today we'll be able to 
learn a bit more about what's happening with Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and PNC. On the 17th, tomorrow, we have U.S. Bank, and then we actually have Prologis, so interested to see what's going on in the industrial REIT space. The 18th, Thursday, is a really big one. We have Bank OZK, Truist, M&T, and First Horizon. I'm really interested in those because they're all huge lenders to CRE and construction. And so I think looking at their book will be super interesting. And then on the 19th, we have Regions and, and Fifth Third. So a good selection of regional banks and some of the larger multi-metro banks, but big week for releases and for earnings. I also wanted to mention that we've got some upcoming guest episodes with some folks across the spectrum of CRE. So brokers, investors, various other players. So excited to have some of those episodes coming out here early in the first quarter of 2024. But Omar, I know you have an announcement about the upcoming CRE sentiment and expectation survey. Absolutely. So we'll be launching the third iteration of this survey. It's a quarterly survey that is intended to capture all perspectives from CRE professionals, no matter their seniority or really their function, to really capture what they're seeing and what they expect for the coming quarters. And so we'll be launching this in the next few weeks. And anybody who wants to participate, if you're listening to this podcast, I encourage you to participate. And you'll be able to find a link to participate in the show notes, as well as we'll be blasting all our social channels. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, thanks for that. And I know eventually later into the quarter, we'll probably do another episode about the results from that survey, just like we did for quarter four. So very excited about that. Please reach out to us if you want to know how to participate. We'd love all the respondents we can get. Omar, I think that is all the time we've got today. I look forward to speaking with you on another episode of CRE Exchange in a few weeks. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.